All right, so last week I said that we wrapped up the series in John. Uh, actually, we're going to be wrapping up the series in John this week. Uh, and then next week, we're going to be starting our new series on, on what it means to be the church as we kind of uh, roll out membership as a church and kind of uh, the reasoning behind why we're doing that and how we think that's going to help us uh, to actually be the church in the way that it was designed uh, within Scripture to be. But today, we're going to be in John, wrapping up uh, John chapter 21. Uh, last week, we took a look at kind of the restoration of Peter uh, and how there was another meeting between Peter and Jesus before that uh, that led up to that. But as I was kind of looking at over the series and talking with the other pastors in the other two locations uh, about this series, uh, it kind of struck us. We've been going through the book of John for almost two years now. Uh, just with different breaks for Easter and Christmas and things like that. Uh, almost 70 different sermons uh, that we've been going through these things. And so it's just kind of a, a, a journey that we've been on that's kind of coming to a, a, a close here that really appreciated and looking forward to what's coming next. Um, but anyways, this morning what I want to kind of start off with as we begin with this is looking at one of the most common questions uh, that people ask, uh, and it's, what about me? And it's a question that kind of like pops up, uh, even though we don't necessarily like to, to acknowledge it at times. Like I, I remember it coming out, like especially as a kid at times, and like my sister would like get a cookie, and I would see my sister having a cookie. I'd be, what about me? Like, can I have a cookie too? And sure, or yes, or no, or whatever happened in that situation. But, you know, when we see somebody with something else, like that's kind of that question, like, what about me? What do I get uh, also? Is it fair? I remember like sitting there and having like the two different cookies and my mom would be like, all right, you got to split. And, and always be like looking for the bigger one myself and trying to give the smaller one to my sister. And so we'd come out and she'd like, all right, now let your sister pick first. Um, all right, fine. And then, so then I tried to be more even every time so I wouldn't get a smaller one uh, whenever she would do that. But I think another um, thing that happens, not just as we're kids, but as we grow up, this question always continues with us, especially like as an adult now. I've noticed it more uh, when I find out that people are like a similar age to me. You know, and, and so I find out that, that here's this other person, here's this other family that's a similar age to like my wife and I, and then it's kind of easy to be like, okay, well, what kind of car did they have? How many cars did they have? Well, what kind of house do they have? What's their living situation? And, and like wondering like, well, why am I not where they're at? Or vice versa, you know, those types of things. And so those questions really start popping uh, into our minds as we really start to compare ourselves uh, to one another. The question can even be flipped around a little bit and be like, okay, well, what about them? Like, like this is the difficulties that I have to go through my life. Like, what's the difficulty that they have to go through? Because we want to feel like that something's fair, that we're not alone in this. And uh, the root of this is really kind of a desire uh, to have worth or value, to not be diminished compared to others, uh, and for things to really kind of seem fair. Uh, and so we're going to kind of see this a little bit in our passage this morning uh, as we look at the conversation that continues after this restoration of Peter in John chapter 21. But before we read that, let's pray. Father, we come before you. Uh, we just pray uh, that you would guide our hearts and minds during this time. We're thankful that your word uh, is alive and active, that it's a double-edged sword that pierces down to bone and marrow, uh, that this is the power that does work within our hearts and our minds. 
I pray that you would guide my words uh, unto yours uh, and that we would submit to the work that you have for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so John chapter 21, we'll be starting in verse 17. And so verse 17 is just kind of a wrap-up from last week, but I put it in here uh, in order to kind of be like to be continued and like, you know, when you watch a show and it's kind of got the recap from last week, that's uh, verse 17 here. Uh, he said, uh, asked him for the third time, Simon or Peter, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, uh, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and somebody else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. And he said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. And after saying this, he told him, follow me. You know, so this whole section is happening here after the intense moment of that reaffirming of Peter's calling. And, and here's kind of Jesus saying, all right, when you were a kid, you were able to dress yourself. Like, like you wanted to go somewhere, just put on your belt and go to the zoo. Or I don't know if they had zoo back then, but, you know, go fishing, go to the market, go visit your friend, whatever that was. And you could go and do that. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands. Uh, somebody else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. Um, I, who wants to hear that? Right? Like, like here's Jesus saying, okay, when you were young, you could kind of be independent, make your decisions. You're going to get older, and, and people are going to take you where you don't want to go. Nobody wants that, right? To do, I almost remember being a kid at times and like, all right, time to go to the dentist and my parents having to tie me up a little bit. But now that I'm an adult, like I want to be able to make that choice for myself. And, and so he's saying this to Peter in this intense aspect of indicating the kind of death he would have. And church tradition uh, says that Peter was also crucified, most likely upside down. Because he didn't want to die in the same way that Jesus had. And so he actually requested to be crucified upside down. And so this kind of intense aspect of the ending of his life. And then Jesus says, all right, follow me. This is what's going to happen when you're older. I don't think he's showing the specifics at this point, but indicating it. Now follow me. He's reaffirming that calling to be fishers of men, uh, but also to be a martyr and to die for the faith. So Peter hears this, and what would your response be in that moment as Jesus is kind of saying, all right, when you were a kid or when you were younger, you were able to do what you wanted to. Um, however, your death is going to be out of your hands, and, and somebody's going to be doing it to you. What would your response in that moment be? It's kind of a, I don't know. Especially since Peter earlier, a few chapters, was like, all right, I will follow you to the death. He, like, he proclaimed that right before Jesus said, well, you're going to end up denying me. And, and then we kind of studied through that whole thing. But, but here's this moment, and Peter, he's sitting here, and he's not questioning it, though. Instead, he does this in verse 20. So he turned around and saw the disciple that Jesus loved following them. Uh, and so this is John who wrote the book. When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, what about him? So again, I just find this like a really interesting thing because if I put myself into to Peter's situation, um, I'd be kind of asked, well, what do you mean about that, Jesus? That I have, my hands are going to be stretched out and I'm going to be tied and somebody else, is, is there a way? Can I, can I avoid it? 
You know, if I do enough good things, like, can I maybe earn my way out of this type of situation? When is it going to happen? And then trying to, to, to get some sense of control over my own life back. Um, or what Peter did is he just was like, oh, well, what about this guy? You know, if this is what's going to happen to me, what's going to happen to him? Jesus replies in verse 22. He said, if I want him, or John, to remain until I come, Jesus answered, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. So this rumor spread to the brothers and sisters that this disciple would not die, or that John would not die. Yet Jesus did not tell him that he would not die, but rather, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? And so here we see this human nature aspect happening again where, where this comparison is taking place, where, where Peter's kind of hearing a, a foretelling of what's going to happen to him in his life, and immediately he almost wants to compare it to John. And like, okay, what's, what's John going to go through? Is it, is it going to be fair? Or, or because John's the disciple that you love, is he going to have an easier time than me? And Peter wants to know what this is. I don't know if Peter wanted to feel better or, or not feel alone and facing a difficult circumstance in his life. But for whatever reason, his impulse in that moment was, I want to know. What's he going through? So I can compare. So I can kind of have an idea. Jesus' response uh, was essentially saying, it's none of your business. Like if I want him to live forever until I come back, what's that to you? It's not your business. Instead, he says, as for you, follow me. It was a call to personal faithfulness and devotion. It was a, a reminder of individual worth, value, and attention determined by Jesus Christ. So see, at the root of comparison is a desire to assess our value and where we stand in comparison with one another or society or society's expectations or our own expectations of our life and how far along we should be or how good we should be doing at any particular thing. And because we're comparing and assessing our sense of value, we're hoping to have that sense of worth. Because if we do a comparison and we like what we see, we feel better about ourselves. And so we increase our value. If we do a comparison and we don't like what we see, we actually feel worse and we're actually devaluing ourselves or then using that as a motivation uh, to be able to compare or stand up to whatever expectation or society or the Joneses or whoever. We have Joneses here, so I'm sorry. It just, <laughs> just came out. Anyways, um, it's a sense or it's an attempt uh, of holding on to or trying to control a sense of value within our life. So I love what Jesus does in this moment because he, he's not just sitting there and ignoring what Peter says or Peter's like, well, what about John? I, I want to compare because I want to know where I stand in comparison to him. Which one of us is going to have an, an easier life? Do, which one do you love more? Jesus doesn't even reply to that as he does many times throughout his ministry, because he knows that the heart intent of what's happening in the moment, he responds to that. He sees that Peter's trying to compare, and so his answer is, what is that to you? You follow me. This is what I have for you to do. And I think in Jesus' response to that, he's truly showing to Peter, you don't need to compare. 
You don't need to contrast. You don't need to try and value your sense of worth based on others. I have chosen you. I have given you worth. I have given you a calling. This is what I have for you to do. As for you, you follow me. And it's all an affirmation to Peter and saying, I want you. Follow me. This is what I have for you. It's a personal invitation. It is a personal working of Christ. And it's a personal working of the Holy Spirit within Peter on the path that Peter is to follow in faithfulness to God. The truth is, is that what is good for the apostles is true also uh, for us today. Now, at the conclusion of last week's message, one of the things I kind of said was, like, I don't have a three-step plan for you in how to find the joy that Peter had in his restoration. And what I meant for that is, is that not that there isn't a step plan or there isn't a process for you to go through, but, but in the position that I'm standing in, like right here in the front of the room with a large group of people, I can't say, okay, this is what every single one of you should do, this, 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 and this. Right? And so there isn't that step plan that I can do that, but it doesn't mean that there aren't steps to take. It's individualized by the Spirit because you're valued by God. Each one of you is, is a work that he is shaping and growing by the power of the Holy Spirit into his likeness. Each one of us is on a journey. We may have some similarity things that we're struggling with or, or that God is using us in, but, but each one of us is called to simply follow Christ in what he has for us to be able to do. Other passages show this, uh, that we have this path to work on. Uh, it says Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only my presence, but even more my absence, uh, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, this is one of those verses where we kind of struggle with what it means with this fear and trembling and working out your own salvation. We're going to get into those things. But again, here's this aspect of this individual walk with God that the Holy Spirit's working with each one of us and that we're meant to do it within a community. We see that really clearly within Ephesians 4 where it says each part working as it ought to builds up the church uh, in love. And so it, it is an individual walk and a corporate walk, a church family walk, all at the same time. And somehow supernaturally through the power of the Spirit, uh, as we are all pursuing that, we're building one another up in love. So back to this verse here, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. First and foremost, uh, this is not talking about earning salvation by work. Ephesians chapter 2 is really clear on that, that we're saved by faith through grace, not by works so that no one can boast. And even that faith is a gift unto us. Uh, and so we cannot earn salvation. We cannot earn God's forgiveness. We cannot earn his love by any works or doing good things uh, at all. But what it's saying here is to work out your own salvation. Now the word work here, uh, this first work, uh, is Strong's G2716, Kater Gazaimo, Gazaimi, something like that. What it means is uh, to perform or accomplish out of something. And so in other words, something's already begun, something has started, something is, is within process, and as part of that process, uh, we're able to perform or accomplish something 
out of that. Uh, and so it's one of those things where the ball is already kind of rolling and we use the momentum that has already been started in order to participate and work within that framework. So that is what uh, this word particular means. Salvation's already present. Uh, the point's made clear in the next verse uh, in Philippians 2.13 because it says here, for it is God who is both working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Now the word here for work uh, in the Greek is entirely different than before. This is strong 1754 uh, energeo, which means to put forth power, to, to affect the work. In other words, it's what begins it, it's what starts it, it's what gets the ball rolling in the first place. The word that we talked about before, the ball's already rolling, and we participate within that. So what this passage, these two passages are saying is that it is God who puts forth that power in us to effect work according to his purpose. In other words, it's, it's his grace, it's his mercy, it's his forgiveness, it's his salvation, it's the empowering of the Holy Spirit that raises us from the spiritual death into life as he adopts us into his family. And then as he has done that, that is that ball rolling and then we're able to participate. But it is a call to participation. It's not just a sled that, that he puts us on and he pushes us down and we just kind of sit there as we go down a hill and kind of enjoy the ride, but rather it's something that he calls us to participate with him as he continues his work. Philippians 1.6 uh, says this, I am sure of this, that he or God who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion uh, until the day of Christ Jesus. And so it's this, uh, again, supernatural duality of, of work and effort. God providing all the power, all the will, all the, even the desire for us uh, to be able to follow after him. And then through the Spirit, us being able to participate in that and kind of follow along as he's doing it. Again, we are do, supposed to put in effort as well. Second uh, Peter chapter 1 uh, points this out. Verse 3, it says, His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. By these he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desires. So I just want to pause there for a second. Again, this passage is saying his divine power, that energeo, that, that, that initiating strength and power has given us everything required for life and godliness. It's clearly stated in this. By, by his own promises, he has given us the ability to share in the divine nature. That, that our lives are no longer simply just bound to this earth and what's happening in the world around us, but rather we've been rescued out of that and given an anchoring in eternity through these promises. But then in verse 5, it says, For this reason... God's established this. He has done this. He's, he's called you into this. For that reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness. Goodness with knowledge. Knowledge with self-control. Self-control with endurance. Endurance with godliness. Godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love. 
For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. And so again, there, there is this tension within Scripture and within this very passage. God's done everything needed for salvation. He wants us to participate. An illustration that I've used in the past is I remember being a, a really young kid and um, more so from pictures and my parents' stories than necessarily my own memory, but I must have been two or three and my parents were doing like this remodel work within their house. And so here's this picture of, of my dad doing this work and he's, you know, putting some nails in the wall or tearing things down and here I am, you know, three, four years old in this gray sweatshirt and, and blue jeans with, with this hammer in my hands that was probably half as big as I was. And, and I'm sitting there and I'm like pounding on something. I don't even know if what I was doing was like actually helping build the room or not. You know, because I remember later on in life when he'd be working on a project, he'd be like, yeah, could you put nails in this board? And so I'd be over there like working really hard and like putting nails into this board. And he'd be like, all right, thank you. And then the, all of a sudden like this beautiful shelf. And looking back as an adult now, I'm like, I didn't do anything <laughs> with that. But I think that's what God's really calling us to. Is we don't have the strength. We don't have the ability to do the work that he does. But, but he wants us to participate he wants us to, to, to walk with him as he guides us and shows us what to do. And, and as I grew older, my dad would be like, all right, sanding. And I got really tired of sanding. You know, we're just sitting, and I'd be like, all right, is it done? Nope, not smooth enough. All right, get back to sanding and working on it a little bit more and a little bit more. But, but then that was contributing to what he was doing. And God does the same thing as, as we grow and as we mature and he calls us to participate. We, we actually supernaturally are able to participate in the work that he is doing in our lives and the lives of people around us. At times, it, it might be work that we don't necessarily want to go through and do, like sanding rough edges off a board. And as the Holy Spirit works within us, there's times where we have rough edges and we need to be smoothed out in areas. And God is saying, all right, I want you to be working on this. I want, oh, Lord, I'm tired of this. Can I go? No, I want you to be working on this. And we get to participate in what he's doing. Again, all of the effort, all of the power, all of the ability is in him and him alone. But a beautiful aspect of it is he wants us to be part of it. He wants us to do it with him. And, and it's this individual calling where he says to Peter, follow me. Is the same thing that he said to each one of us. Follow me. What that means is he's chosen you. He's rescued you out of darkness. He's forgiven you of sins. He's washed them as white as snow. That's what we talked about last week with Peter. That, that complete joy that Peter had as he jumped out of the boat to run to Jesus because there was no shame holding him back. There was nothing that made him want to hide in the bottom of the boat. Instead, he wanted to rush to Jesus. That same thing is meant for us as he's called us to follow him, as he's called us out of darkness, as he's forgiven our sins, that same thing. 
But as Peter had things to work on, we also have things to work on. It's what this list here in Second Peter is. For this reason, make every effort. Supplement faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness. All these things were meant to work on uh, and be disciplined in so that we can draw closer and do our part in working with God. One of the things that was kind of the challenge out of last week, and we talked about it on Wednesday uh, in, our, in our group meeting for Equip, uh, was that whole thing where Peter, again, no shame, but, but just wanted to be in the presence of Jesus. That, that whole desire of you know, being cleansed from, from past sins. And one of the verses that came up on Wednesday uh, was in Psalm 51, where it says, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Renew in me a right spirit and a clean heart. We, we have songs that we sing similar to that. And, and I think that's one of the biggest fights uh, that we have as Christians that we need to go through. Is, is do we have this, this joy of salvation, this sense of, of rightness and cleanness before God, of, of joy where there is no burden of shame, there is no burden of guilt, that there is no trying to earn his love or make up for mistakes that we've made, but, but rather just this sense of a child before their parent loving to be in his presence. And I think we struggle with that at times because of, of a number of different things. And it was a large part uh, of our conversation on Wednesday night. But out of that, it becomes a, a large part of the things that we actually need to work on within our life. This passage actually says this in Second Peter. It says, the person who lacks these things or lacks growth within these areas are blind and short-sighted because they've forgotten the cleansing from their past sins. So actually doing these things and pursuing growth and spiritual growth with God and the path that he's called us on to is a protection that helps to remind us of the joy of our salvation, helps to remind us of the work that God has done within our lives. And so the question that then comes up uh, is really a challenge to us individually and personally. Because again, we're not to compare I want to just throw out a little caveat and a caution to this that, that doesn't mean that as a church uh, we're not supposed to be looking out for our brothers and sisters. People will take a passage like this where Jesus says, well, what's it to you if this is what I have John doing? And that, they'll take that to mean like we shouldn't care what other people are doing. Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter 19 about where, where somebody needs to be brought to restoration. And so there's a loving process to go through that. It's not saying ignore other people, but don't compare where you're at compared to where they're at. Don't put your sense of value or their sense of value based on comparison, but instead recognize you've been called to a purpose that's greater than what you can accomplish. You've been given the power in order to accomplish that, and then you're called to participate in that as God does this work through you. And so then the question is, what is he working on in your life as an individual? And this is the moment where I can't say, here's your three steps. But you might have three steps, you might have 12 steps. God is working in your life because he's called you. Which means that there's things that he wants you to grow in. And there's things that he wants you to get rid of. 
What are the steps that he's calling you to take? Are you acknowledging those things? Are you wrestling with them? There may be things that we don't necessarily want to do, like sanding for four hours in order to get this thing smooth enough to stain so that we can have a beautiful shelf on the wall when I was a kid. But, but even within my own life, there's things that need to be sanded and smoothed out and God needs to, to chisel away. And, and yet we can resist that. And he desires our participation in it. He wants us to participate in it because as we participate in it, we begin to truly understand the value of the work that he's doing within our life. It's hard to give up being selfish. It's hard to give up a desire for my time and wanting to spend my time the way that I want to spend my time in order to pursue after what God might be calling me to do and set aside watching this television show or doing this or doing that. But by participating in the process of that, I begin to see the value of the process itself and truly appreciate what God has done in life. Then we're protected to be able to remind ourselves and to enjoy that joy of our salvation through that process. So I guess really the, the kind of challenge in this uh, is for us as a church to really be pursuing what God has for us as individuals. I want to read that passage in Ephesians. Um, I quoted it before a bit. and We don't have it up on the screen. But if you want to turn or have your device and go to Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm really grateful that we were able to get into this message before we start our next series. Because our next series, again, is what does it mean to be a church? What does it mean to be a family? What does it mean to be a community of believers that walk together in this world? This world is difficult enough as it is, and we're called to be something supernatural. We're, we're called to be light within to our community. We're called to be able to overcome this world, and not just show up on Sunday weary and beaten down from all the difficulties out there, trying to get a little bit of a boost here, but rather to be the church that goes out into the community and makes a difference as we do that. We're going to be going into a series of what it means to do that. How can we look at interacting? How does Scripture call us to do that, both within framework and in mindset? But again here in Ephesians chapter 4, we'll be taking a look at this passage uh, as part of our series. And I'll just take a second to find what I'm trying to see. Now I know it's in 4. Is it talking about each part working as it ought to? Does anybody have it? 15, thank you. Yes, yes, thank you very much. So, uh, verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So again, this is our goal, this is the task, this is what we've been called to do. From whom, from Jesus, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped. So every joint means you. 
Each joint is a son or daughter of God. Each joint is you. With its equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, again, as you look at this passage, there, there's almost this cart before the horse kind of thing. Um, and again, I think it's a tension within Scripture because it says what each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And, and so you could take a look at this and say, we're not going to grow as a church. We're not going to succeed as a church unless everybody gets their act together. Because once you're working as you ought to, then the church can Build, but, but then it says the church builds itself up in love. So in other words, it's not built yet, but that it's going to be feeding into and helping to build and grow where people need growth and help through difficult times. And so it's this supernatural thing that, that's almost like the water cycle where it has to rain so that there's ground on, the water on the ground in order to evaporate so it can rain. And it all just feeds itself in this process that God has designed so that it's built up in love. And so as we go into this series, um, I think it's a good challenge for each of us uh, to spend some time saying, what work has God been doing in our life? What is he currently working on? What is he calling me to get rid of? And, and as you wrestle through those things, uh, you don't have to wrestle through those things alone either. Pray with one another. Ask other people. Say, this is what I think that God wants me to work on. The Holy Spirit can help to reveal what these things are and what we ought to pursue so that we can do it together. The other thing that I think is really encouraging about this is that Jesus is calling each one of us to this process. And so again, there shouldn't be any comparing of like, oh, what do they need to work on? I know what they need to work on, but I wrestle with what I need to work on. Um, but he's calling us all to do this. And so none of us should feel alone. None of us should feel shame in, in any of this. But rather, it is a, a journey that we're all on together. And not just us as a church. This is what he's calling this church as a whole to do. To go on this journey. Christian, uh, who's the other elder here, uh, and I have been working on uh, kind of a concept and a plan that is it next month we're looking at rolling out um, kind of coinciding with Lent and this kind of concept um, and so just kind of want to put that out there for you guys to be praying about whether or not God might have you to join this and I'm not going to even tell you what it is yet um, because it's still in process of, of kind of but at the same time um, I almost want you to be praying about it uh, before you know what it is because God might be calling you to do something that you step into like, all right, if I knew what it was, maybe I wouldn't have done it. <laughs> um, but it's going to be like a, looking at Lent, some 40 days of, of intentional um, asking this question, what is God currently working on? What's he calling me to get rid of? And, and then having some accountability and a group go through that together. Uh, and so we're looking at doing that, but now would be a good time to start asking these questions and praying. Um, as we head into that. I don't have anything else. But I don't know if that's it. 
Anybody get a, a sense from the Lord on anything this morning regarding this? Yeah, you want to come up and share it? Do you want to? Thank you. All right. Anything else this morning? I, I love in First Corinthians um, as it talks about when you gather, and and it's just one of those times where uh, my outline ended, and I don't necessarily feel it's done. So uh, definitely be praying for that. But wanna 
Just take another moment here. All right. Uh, Father, we come before you and uh, we thank you again for your holy word and for the working of the church and your Holy Spirit in each one of us. Uh, we pray and ask for joy. Uh, we ask that you would restore unto us the joy of our salvation, that it would be a joy that recognizes and uh, is elated in being white as snow, in perfect standing before you, not because of anything that we have done, but because of everything that Jesus did for us. We ask for that gift of joy, the fruit of the spirit of joy, the ability to rejoice uh, in any circumstance. Lord, I pray uh, that your Holy Spirit uh, would give us wisdom and illuminate uh, things in our life that steal joy, uh, whether that is comparison uh, to others, comparison to expectations, or just complaining in life about things that we do not like and our focus is always on the negative. Lord, we pray that you would help our focus to be on you, that we would love you and appreciate you for all that you've done. Would you guide us as a church in refining process that might be as irritating as sanding, but results in your work being accomplished. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.